0: Welcome, everybody, to episode seven of the Access podcast. My name is Renata Albuquerque, and this episode is edited by my colleague Simon Tullet. Our guest today is Professor Ross Renton, who is the principal of ARU Peterborough University and former senior pro-vice chancellor at the University of Worcester, where he championed a strategic approach to mental health. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us about student mental health, Ross. Student mental health has been a real concern for a while. And we know that poor mental health associated with poor academic outcomes, um, withdrawal from university um, and, and poor career prospects afterwards. Um, but also there has been some cases of suicides at university, which led to legal cases against university, but as well as a big debate about what is the role of university in these situations. It's a topic within which you've been involved for a while and um, I would really appreciate if you could tell us about your experience at Worcester, the Suicide Safer initiative and working with students to promote positive mental health.
1: Yeah, I know mental health support both for students and in fact staff has been really core to a number of my previous roles Um uh, more recently I was the chair of uh, Suicide Safer, a, a really kind of all-encompassing initiative to uh, support um, uh, students with their mental health and also to try and prevent the most extreme outcome, which is suicide. And, um, uh, and for me, that, that's kind of touched me in, in so many ways. Um, when I was Dean of Students and, and later as uh, Pro Vice-Chancellor and Senior Pro Vice-Chancellor at Worcester, I, I sadly saw those outcomes and was uh, intimately involved in the response to them. Um, and they have an impact on obviously the students um, who are around those um, uh, who decide uh, to to, to, uh, uh, to take their own life, but also for the staff mm-hmm. and um, the families who are wanting answers as well. So these things have a, a significant impact on those involved and um, uh, really happy to kind of explore and, and, and explain a bit more about the kind of things that we were doing.
0: Thanks a lot. Um, it is really sad when something like that happens, and, and I think that we all um, would like to do more. According to a briefing published by the House of Commons, students have higher levels of anxiety and lower levels of happiness than the general population, which I found quite shocking and upsetting, really. Um, it quotes work pressure, moving away from home, and financial worries as the most common reasons for a student's poor mental health. And we know that the pandemic has made the situation even worse. Isn't
1: the scale of the problem too big? Yeah, no, look, this isn't just a university uh, issue, uh, is probably my first point. Uh, If you speak to schools and colleges and, in fact, workplaces uh, now, this is a a significant challenge for for all of society. Um, And that means we need a holistic response uh, as a a society and as communities, Um, uh, just relying on one element of that to uh, deliver... You know the right outcome. I just don't think is uh, is sensible. As you say, it's, it's too big a problem to resolve uh, on your own and from the university perspective about um, uh, student mental health and supporting students, it's about working with uh, partners so uh, there's multiple aspects to that and the Suicide Safer project was um, had some really key strands around that partnership piece so working with uh, from where the students are coming from whether it's schools or colleges understanding the kind of supports available to them and you look at the data the amount of for example counselling support that's available within colleges is really um, really under resourced compared to to universities, so there's already an issue coming uh, across from there. But also having those conversations with those, um, you know, your your main providers that are coming through with students. But what supports available? What kind of students might need additional uh, input in that transition period? Transition is a really stressful uh, time. Every time a student transitions, it, it's a point of risk for them to drop out of the course, for them not to continue, and also if they already have underlying. The other partnership that I think is really key is working uh, with um, things like the the NHS Trusts, so both primary and secondary care around this, and really um, working with them to understand what kind of support is available, where um, universities have got support in place, how that can work uh, hand in hand with the, the provision that's available externally, and really targeting the most, you know, what can you do to do uh, to support prevention or those who have got um, high instances of a particular, for example, eating disorder? Uh, what what are you doing as an institution to try and support that? How is that embedded into your relationship with the trust? Where there's expertise that is uh, lying there. And then the other side for me is working with local authorities, they have a statutory responsibility in a number of these areas um, really speaking to them about what are their strategies for um, uh, supporting mental health across a city it impacts on a whole range of other areas that people might not think about so housing, um, uh, when someone leaves university if they've got an underlying mental health issue um, what's happening to them once they go out? That really quite supportive environment for some of being uh, in a university environment and going to a workplace. What supports are available to them? To there? So having that holistic approach uh, really does uh, help. Uh, and you, you mentioned kind of the the size of the issue and, and, and specifics around uh, students, particularly finding uh, the, the you know levels of unhappiness. The, the HEPI Advanced HE report also correlates uh, to that and and, Mm. uh, indicates those issues. But when you look at instances of uh, the most extreme, so the suicide, they aren't higher in the student population. The impact uh, is so uh, pervasive across a community and often quite a close-knit community. Uh, And if I may, just to to share my my own experience uh, of that, I remember getting a call around about three o'clock in the morning, um, a student uh, sadly taking their own life in a very public way, Um, uh, a first year student a couple of weeks into uh, being um, at university, it was in the middle of the halls, um, accommodation, loads of students around, security there trying to prevent it happening and it happened in front of them. Uh, I arrived there probably about half past three in the morning, all very very fresh all um, uh, the experiences of those that are responding uh, to it and then having the conversations with the, the parents who sent off their the their, their loved one to university to be in a safe environment and having that call uh, that the most extreme things happened the impact on that community is not just that day it's not just that Uh, week it it stays with it so those students who are witness to it but also those who are hearing about it are already quite vulnerable some themselves and a risk of contagion. So other students they're already high risk uh, having an impact on them Uh, an issue for those staff first of all those who were witness to it but also the staff who teach those students who uh, you know are are so excited themselves at the start of term about new students arriving Uh, the impact on senior management I mean it's, there is no training course at the moment for um, postvention so after the an incident happens and for me it's, it's all you could do is be human you know you meet the parents it be really open and transparent uh, I have to say putting your arm around someone and um, uh, you know it's it's being human is, is about you know the, the kind of best advice I can can give and share as much as uh, you can but also for um, the families and about the right responses and things that can be shared. And as I say, there's then coroner's reports and coroner's investigations, these things take time uh, and can have a a significant impact. So what resources has an institution put in place? What frameworks there to support them? And through some of the work we've done, we've we've looked at uh, certainly through the Suicide Safer, how we can support that, how we can ensure the right research is in place to put in mechanisms to support everyone uh, that it uh, was impacted uh, by uh, as I say the most extreme outcome
2: i
0: am really interested in this idea of prevention and and I'm really happy to hear that suicide is actually very low among students the so suicide rates, um, but but the the levels of anxiety isn't is quite high, and I know that from the students I work with um, and 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 for me, you know. Um, I see students already um, in sixth form, whether it's at colleges or schools, uh, feeling very stressed um, by the kind of exam uh, drills that they are um, required to do. Um, And and then this idea that um, when they come to universities, they have to work. Our students, access students have to work and that they have financial worries. Um, not all of them moving away from home. It seems like um, from another, from the happy study, that those who are commuting students actually have higher levels of um, anxiety than the ones who who move away from home. But I'm not, obviously I'm not making, um, it is is a big change to, to move away from home. So, you know, what is it that universities can do to prevent, you know, when you were doing your Suicide Safer initiative, there must be, that there must be the focus, right, on prevention rather than... So, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about what what sort of measures um, universities should have in place? How many universities perhaps have um, joined Suicide Safer? Um, you know, that kind of thing, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing to say is the, the pressures on students are... Um, Uh, are really evident and I encourage people, yes look at data and and the surveys that take place but just have a a conversation with students Uh, and um, on a campus I'll spend a lot of my time meeting with students, um, hearing about their experience, you'll find students have got University is not the most important thing in their life. Um, They've got other things going on. They've got caring responsibilities. Many are working almost full time because of the financial pressures they're in. Um, They are Mm -hmm. sometimes parents themselves, so they're dealing with all the pressures. I mean, during the pandemic, I was speaking to students who were trying to teach uh, their kids at home. They were trying to stay on course with their degrees. They were worrying about their part-time work, which has dried up because of the impact on that. And you know, for someone who's already got um, you know uh, uh, some mental health um, concerns, uh, that just you know layers upon layers of pressure on them. And so, what can we do as, as universities around that? Well, I think the first element is. Um, for us not to forget the impact we have in terms of our influence as institutions around campaigning and raising awareness about mental health. And there's that transparency piece, and we all have a mental health as being really open and uh, and engaging students on some of those issues. The staff who are teaching you have a mental health and will have issues themselves. And the staff you're meeting who are cleaning your halls uh, also have some of those mental health um, concerns as well. So that campaigning piece is important, I then think education and training on mental health, um, particularly for staff and for students. So in mental health first aid training, uh, understanding about who students will see when potentially that point of crisis happens. So of course, personal tutors and those that are teaching the classroom will ha- often uh, encounter that. And they need to know about who to signpost to and who can get support. But also when many of us aren't on campus, there's the security teams uh, and there is the um, cleaning teams that are on. They're the ones that get to know students and we need to make sure they are supported appropriately and given the right training to respond. And certainly I've seen that in the work that we did in Worcester. We saw the staff taking real pride in that training um, and seeing that they're being valued in what what we're uh, giving uh, to them and giving them a skill set to use. But also, from my point of view, security that buildings are important but people are more important and uh, for them to respond to a student first rather than to a building issue, I think they found that uh, really rewarding. But also around that training is also making sure that the staff know how to uh, help students that are uh, possibly uh, transitioning, for example, uh, uh, those with um, uh, transitioning uh, to uh, for transgender. So some of our education and awareness courses were very much focused on that. So what kind of language can you use? What's the right thing to say? Not just for staff, but also for students as well. And the added benefit is many of our students, uh, about a third of them are then going out into the healthcare care uh, and into public uh, service type roles where those skill sets are just invaluable. Um, the the next element is developing and promoting a range of resources, so making sure that there is the right resources available uh, to students. So the, the the response shouldn't always be about counselling. Um, uh, and in the old days in higher education, mm. you go yeah, go and see the counsellor, and there's a waiting list. You now that was kind of uh, often the, uh, what people would hear. It's not always the right response. Universities will not always have the right skill set some will so having mental health nursing staff for example but also some of the social prescribing has been really key how do you help with some of about lower level anxiety or loneliness and loneliness uh, you know is a significant issue and really small things make big impacts. so talking tables i don't know if you came across that where there's places on campus you can sit down and people know by sitting there we can have a conversation together just open up and share a little bit of time i imagine uh, Post COVID, that's going to be even more important. You know the the sense of isolation uh, that people have had. So making sure we've got the right resources on campus, and then the, the kind of final element is developing, contributing to the relevant academic research. So uh, we had uh, a fantastic project lead, uh, Professor Joe Smith, um, uh, whose background was around um, uh, kind of mental health support. And two phd students looking at different aspects um uh, for example postvention um, one of those students were looking at that response that i've talked about uh, early on about how do you make sure the response to the most extreme incident is the right one within an institution, and the research that Hilary Corr has done is—I is, uh, encourage people to have a look at—is really helped set out what can be done. Uh, and Joe uh, and others have released a book recently as well, which highlights some of the best practice across the sector. And we'll make sure we give you the link for the the podcast around that.
0: I was—I was quite interested. I mean, I have seen lots of stuff talk about. Um, particularly in in relation to transition, the idea that that students, um, that loneliness is a big deal. In fact, I I was part of a training event where um, it was the first time I came across the fact that students actually feel quite lonely. And they all, all, I mean, the majority of them put their hand up. And I was wondering, you know, in terms of engaging students to support other students um, to create activities or projects or whatever it is, address that in some ways it's just something that you haven't been involved with in any of your previous roles yeah, right
1: now absolutely and, and there's again there's different elements to it so I think there's a very basic part of it and I used to do um, uh, induction talks for all new students and I talk about responsibilities that we have for being part of a community uh, one of those responsibilities is to look after yourself so when you need help and support is to seek it out but one of the other responsibilities of being a community is to look out for each other. So, you know, if you see a, another student who's struggling that's maybe disheveled, not quite the way they would normally be, it's part of your responsibility to flag that. Now, we're not asking you to solve that, you know, we're not saying it's your job to do it, but know about where the signposting is for them to get help, know where to go to say, I'm worried about someone else and uh, ensuring that you get the right response from it. So that's at a really simple level. The other side of it is students helping to co-create some of these things. So the activities that build awareness and support. And so for example, in Suicide Safer, we had students involved, eh, not just involved, but actually co-creating part of the group that were doing that. My experience across all all the things I've done in higher education is, you know, you'd be feel not to have students engaged uh, in these activities. You'd be feel not to make sure that they're helping you to build and make sure that they're relevant for what you're doing and making sure that you're getting they're a breadth of involvement of students. So not necessarily the traditional 18 year old coming out of school or college, but also those that are coming to education uh, later in life. And some really great examples. I mean, uh, I don't know if you came across it, It Takes Balls to Talk or a fantastic initiative that started in the West Midlands, about targeting young men to get them to talk about mental health and then signposting them at that point um, yeah, and it's often done during a sporting event. So we had it, for example, at the varsity games, you know, where everyone's really excited, but, you know, having someone there to go, how is your mental health? What what support do, might you need? And then be able to signpost them there and then, and in fact, have someone there they can speak to there and then who's a professional in that area, really great uh, opportunity. And then some more subtle things. Uh, there's a, a great initiative around um, uh, second hand or vintage clothing depending on what generation you are um uh, and uh where there's the labels on there, I've got little messages, little signposts of support, really subtle thing to bring onto campus, but actually just opens that conversation and normalises the conversations. And I think that normalisation of people talking about these things and knowing that you know it's not just them, you're not isolated. Everyone at some point will go through some of those experiences, some to more extreme levels than others. And again, that's fine. Um, we, we're all different and we all have a
0: mental health that may go up and down. I mean, I... I... I love the or the creativity of these activities, and um, in the, both in their names and 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 how they're delivered. But I do think that students, it's hard to get students sometimes to to co-create. Um, they seem to be feeling overwhelmed, and I think particularly um, that's the word I keep on hearing throughout the pandemic that students are overwhelmed, um, that they're not engaging in extracurricular activities. Um, and in fact they often some of them not even engaging in their class so I think there's a real challenge there for us to to think about um, how do we do things that are relevant to students and and not we're not doing because we think it's a good idea and at the same time you know um, we're not asking them to do more than they're already doing and 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 the idea that there's something that is completely outside of our control is outside of our control whether they are Um, The assessment in schools is all about exams, exams and exams. And and that seems to be all they really do in year 13. Um, And how exhausting that must be in terms of stress. Because some people do better exams than others, I guess. And then the whole idea of funding and money, um, because we do know that a lot of our access students are working many more than the, the 12 or 15 hours that is usually recommended. Um, so I think that there's a real
1: challenge there for us to think about. Can, I, can I just um, uh, sorry, before you continue on that, mm-hmm. um, mm. I, I completely agree, and I think some of that is making sure that what we're doing doesn't just expect students to come to you, you know, and uh, seeking mm. students in the places where they might need more support, and uh, there's lots of really uh, difficult things about the pandemic, but there's some good things that came out of it. And so, for example, the mm. flexibility in services within universities, I've seen really great examples, including those students who are going out into the NHS and placement. There, I know they're supposed to be supernumerary, mm. but we know that they're part of the, the workforce and supporting and um, uh, supporting the response to the pandemic making sure that the times that they need that support is before they go on to shift and after they go on to shift and actually mm-hmm. finding ways to do that that so both the staff that are supporting that the staff are, are you know have got flexibility trying to balance their challenges works really well for them mm-hmm. I'm doing that early morning early to later evening but works really well for the students mm-hmm. who are decompressing after a really challenging day now we weren't really mm-hmm. doing that much in the sector certainly not to my knowledge Those kind of things we need to Mm. kind of hold on to and say that worked really well. How do we continue that and how Mm. do we get ourselves into spaces where students might be? Um, uh, The other side of it is we've got the the use of technology. So things like White Wall, where people are able to engage with online resources and mental health. Uh, we launched a, a mm-hmm. project called reach uh, which is where students got a, a tablet but on that already had built in some mental health tools that people could access so those kind of things are mm-hmm. making it as easy as possible and being in places you may not expect to find that kind of support
0: wonderful tablet huh i quite like the idea <laughs> um i i've been you know as part of my preparing for this podcast i um was reading the Mental Health Charter, which I found really, really interesting. In particular, this idea of the whole student um, life cycle approach, which is bread and butter for people working in access. Um, So it's quite exciting to see that replicated in that that sphere as well. But I understand that um, some universities, maybe particularly smaller ones like mine, find it hard to engage with the metrics required to secure the charter. Um, is were you involved with uh, the Mental Charter, the creation of the Mental Charter? You know, could you tell us a little bit more about it? What do you know about it? Yeah,
1: so some of my colleagues were certainly involved uh, with it, and at the moment I'm involved with uh, a reference group around um, postvention. So again, that response uh, to, to suicide and things like the Charter. I think provide really strong foundations. So Student Minds, who led on the project, and and uh, Rosie and our team, I think, did a, a fantastic uh, job to pull together, which is quite a complex issue. I think you rightly also identify there's lots of uh, things that can be pulled from the experience of good access and widening participation work. Um, uh, so, you know, embedding research, understanding your data and how that impacts. Interventions, what interventions work and how do you measure and monitor those interventions? So you don't keep doing the same thing just because it looks good or sounds good, but you've actually got an evidence base. There's lots of things that pull across from uh, certainly that uh, uh, widening participation and access uh, work. And that whole institutional response is not, uh, I used to say this, but when participation, it's not the responsibility of the departments, the hut in the corner and on campus to deal with this, it's everybody's job. Now, it might be to different levels uh, and we can't put expectations for people to give a clinical response with no experience. And, and I have no, my personal background, no clinical experience. I only speak from uh, experience of, of supporting and working on some of these projects. So you need to make sure that people kind of feel confident to do what's uh, within their skill sets and feel confident to support it. And the charter does recognise that. It recognises you know, that people have different roles to play across an institution. It also sets out um, for people to understand kind of the various stages, that transition piece, but also where the specialist services come into it. Uh, and I really have to kind of uh, give um, uh, uh, kind of my, my respect to those who work in student services across the So, you know, such dedication, people, you know, you, you don't just do it as a job. There's people who stay late at night, will sit with um, students until uh, some of the crisis services arrive. Um, will um, make sure that students are, are well supported and go above and beyond to, to make that happen. But it needs to be systematic, it can't just rely on in, you know, a few individuals in an institution, it needs to be embedded in. So I, there's two elements, smaller institutions I think do find these things challenging, um, but it shouldn't be an excuse not to do anything and it shouldn't be an excuse to, to pare back on it. So I encourage them to work in partnership with others. So where there's other institutions locally, what can you have as a shared service with them? So is that around your counselling or mental health support? Is there campaigns you can do together to raise awareness where you're, you're pulling resources together? Is there something within your your mission group? You know, and there's different groups within the higher education. So if you're part of London High or what they've done some great work around this, if you're part of Guild H E, another group, small and specialist
0: institutions. Yeah, yeah, no, no, please just I have to cut this because obviously people are doing things. <laughs> they just obviously they're doing lots of things. They might not be getting the charter, but they're not. It's certainly in my institution, they're doing loads of things. Um but I think that um you know there may be some uh, scope to connect it to some other areas such as the a p p for example, or you know um, there may be some other ways in which um there's so many good things on the charter um and i I really need to learn a little bit more about it. I would love to learn learn a lot more about it um yeah and 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 i was wondering you know if the people who um run the charter go to universities to talk to people about it to um to promote some areas or anything like that that you know of. yeah um, so, so the
1: charter itself was um uh, an initiative that was led by student minds and they've got a really outstanding chief executive Rosary tresler and rosie's been involved in uh, in a lot of this work uh, of course, uh, I'd encourage people to get in contact with Student Minds. The other thing, uh, and this is one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm particularly proud about being in higher education, is we're not competing mm. on this. And, you know, no one wants to mm-hmm. be at the top of the league table on this stuff. We want to work together and yeah. want to get the best possible outcome for the students. So, speak to institutions that are maybe further ahead on uh, delivery of the charter, or you know, are doing some really interesting things around mental health they will be keen to support and share what they're doing. I mean, uh, I know, for example, uh, Karen Thurgood and the team at Worcester would be really keen to engage. Um, I know also the team uh, at Anglia Ruskin University would be really keen to share with others what they have been doing. So the, there's there's plenty of opportunities to get other institutions. There's also some really great uh, opportunities to come up through, through conferences within the sector and I, I'd look out for them as well. But have a look at some of the online resources and. Uh, Again, one of the the beauty okay. things about our sector is we share kind of the outcomes so even on the suicide safer there's a booklet out there which is um, six years of the project outlines the successes, how it is measured and there might be things in there people want to pull out and try in their own institution um which aren't big resource areas aren't things that are you know going to put pressure on uh, the coffers. Uh, and just the kind of last point on, the, on this is, is also you're right on the um, uh, APP, the Access and Participation Plan, where you've set funding aside. As, as where can that best meet the needs of? If it helps students stay on course, that student success piece, then I think that probably is justifiable within uh, your spend. Uh, and there are things like study coaches mm-hmm. and the like, I've seen institutions put into those documents.
0: Yeah, no, we already do uh, put some funding towards that as well, and I'm sure that many other universities do. Um, you just um, set up a new university from scratch, um, and that means that you've had a golden opportunity to embed all these things from a very early stage. And I was just wondering, you know, from that experience, what were the challenges, or and 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 and. and and the best opportunities
1: that you've had you know yeah i mean uh, what i'd say first of all is uh, i'm the principal of the new institution but i'm setting it up with a wonderful set of colleagues um uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. And they, they're doing a, a, an outstanding job and i mean it, the, the beautiful thing again about what we're doing is it's about the community we are an institution that's being built without fences or walls around the campus it is the university for peterborough it's a cold spot um, in terms of higher education but it's also when you look at things like social mobility it's got some of the biggest challenges in the country and social mobility both in Peterborough but also mm. in the Fenlands, and it's got some of the poorest health outcomes so it's only right that we are embedding into what we do that sense of purpose and what we're doing so um, for example, our health courses and how we expand them and help to improve uh, the, the health response, working around the research area, and we're working with a research partner within the NHS or mental health and how we can support the community, which also will influence back onto students, but also building that sense of community. And we've got great foundations to build from from Anglia Ruskin, where we put the student at the centre of what we're doing and having those very personal uh, engagement with the students early on. So, our new staff that are joining us are speaking to students before they arrive or doing lots of activities before they come uh, onto site but also that bit of our expectation is you're not just about doing stuff on campus you're contributing to wider community which is good for everyone it's good for them it's good for uh, the institution as well I think my kind of medium term aspiration is also to make sure that that's wholly embedded into the sport and services that are provided through things like the local trusts and the councils to make sure that there's that seamless approach and we've been working um about raising awareness of the institution with schools and colleges. I think the next step is then that conversation, as we did in Worcester, about looking at the transitions piece. How do we partner around some of this and give students the confidence to raise it even before they arrive, what kind of support they might need and, and where we need to put that uh, as a priority as an institution. This is a great thing, but one of
0: the things, I'm, you know, you must have had to create New policies, new strategies, including an education strategy, for example. Um, and I was quite interested in the charter's perspective. And you mentioned something similar about how um, mental health is about all different areas. And it, they, they, when they, well, they talk about teaching and learning in the in the charter, it's, it's so interesting because teaching and learning is about belonging. Belonging is about. Um, loneliness so just making some loose connections here and you know as we saw loneliness is a, is a, a, um, a thing about um, mental health has a connection to feeling lonely and and poor mental health has a big connection so what what does embedding mental health in teaching and learning looks like from your perspective experience
1: yeah um, I mean what are the really positive things that we're doing is this is an institution that's been built with angler ruskin which has has got some of those already in place and and one of the really Uh strong parts of that is that community that sense of community and inclusivity is making sure that people really see where it's relevant for them and understanding that the curriculum has to meet the needs of a very diverse student body so i think that's key so that that, that curriculum design piece, also recognizing students are coming from different perspectives. So some students, and if you look at degree apprenticeships, they're really cool. They're an employee um, of those uh, areas. So how do you make sure the, the, the companies you are working with have a clear understanding of what support is available uh, to those uh, students? And then assessment strategies is the other part of it. Is, why are you inses- uh, assessing uh, in a particular way? Now some of that might be defined by a, a A psrb a a regulatory body but others may not and Mm -hmm. and really having a clear understanding of what are you trying to achieve what are the learning outcomes you're trying to get uh, from this and how would you make a reasonable adjustment for a student around this so a classic one is presentations and anxieties around delivering presentations there's loads of other examples and it's having that really open conversation and making sure there's a framework that allows for that I think there's the the other side of it is supporting academic staff. So that academic um, uh, development programme that really gives people the toolkit. So um, whether that's inclusivity toolkits, um, uh, inclusivity by design, which is some really great examples Mm -hmm. uh, out in the sector at the moment around that, and really seeing how you can build it across um, your, your, again, understanding your student body. I mean, if you've got a large number of students, uh, international students, How are you recognising that in your delivery? How are you making sure that the support mechanisms are there in place? And how are you training and supporting your staff to respond to that? And lots of institutions do that really well. But I think there's also a point for us as a sector and as individual institutions, is to make sure we're taking a breath at points and having a look at what we're doing and reflecting and reviewing and making sure it responds in the right way. And there's ways of doing that with you know surveys and uh, there's kind of dip test surveys, you know, you're which are uh, all great, but also just having those conversations with students. What are the personal academic tutors saying that students are responding to? How do we need to flex what we're doing and where do we need to move around some of the resource? um and there's really small things i've seen work really effectively so i've seen people using cortex so the um uh, the textbook uh, software i don't want to give brand promotion to any particular one but i've seen them use it where Mm -hmm. you've seen students have been stuck at a particular piece of work because you can see on the software someone keeps going back to that bit of the the, the text how are you responding Mm -hmm. that how are you flexing uh, across there other examples i've seen is uh, social models of learning so uh, where um using different learning environments to help students and recognise, again, difference through there and how people might engage with the information that's coming uh, to them. So having that point of really reflecting on it and having really good support from the staff who are teaching on.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much for all of this. Um, It's definitely given me a lot of food for thought um, and a desire to go and find out more and find out more about what I can do, what we can do as a team at SOAS.
1: I, I think my, my only thing is, look, I'm not, uh, and I don't profess to be, you know, expert or kind of clinically trained in any of this. It is just through experience and, and working with some fantastic colleagues uh, over the years on this. Um, and I think the biggest thing we can do is, is be open and transparent with what we're trying to achieve uh, and work in partnership. And if we get those bits, uh, I, I think you're right on the road to, to to having a better response than we already have on it. Um, and as I say it, it makes good sense you know why wouldn't you want to do this uh, we all benefit from it so um, uh, the more we talk about it the more we, we have you know, opportunities like this to raise awareness the better
0: mm-hmm. Wonderful well, thank you so much for everything
2: We interviewed students and asked what they thought about how universities could work with students to support good mental health and here is what they had to say Having to prove with medical records that you have a mental health condition in order to get mitigating circumstances approved is problematic, as getting officially diagnosed often takes a while. One thing definitely is it would be great if through university you could have access to therapy, or not therapy, but just having someone to talk to every, you know, regularly once a week, once a month, I don't know. Um, I did get a counsellor last year. Um, but it was only for a couple of months, and then they had to, you know, stop it. Um, so it would be nice to be able to have more of that. Um, and then I think I got my ADHD assessment, which was great. Um, but I, I'm, I'm recently I've been trying to get an assessment for autism, and that I can't get. So that's another thing that I I think would be nice to to be because I'm doing it through the NHS because it's free Um, but there's a very long long uh, waiting list so it's gonna take what a year two years maybe more Um, so to have that with the University would be really nice and um, just workshops something more more proactive towards students mental health because I feel like Life in general is very harsh, but university life makes the stress go really a lot more up.
0: I I, I just think it's uh, integral that universities extend as much of the resources possible to ensure that mental health is something that they devote their time to, Uh, because universities are incredibly volatile spaces for mental health to begin with, because of the pressure that uh, students and individuals are subjected to and uh the sense of extension in my opinion predicates the idea that there needs to be some sort of expediting from the university side in order to make sure that uh i don't know uh, mental health services are easily accessible
2: which isn't the case at the moment so i think there should be more um a more available service at the well-being and whatever it's called, service, so that if people are like feeling uh, really bad, uh, that they can have available uh, people to help them in, in these circumstances. Basically, just like have more available availability and not to have to look for it and wait. In my case, I had to wait for two months to get an appointment with a coach or with a therapist. So in the meantime, I kind of lost a lot of time just being confused and lost. Whereas if I if they had been more responsive I could have maybe evolved like more quickly in my like distress let's say yeah I find it quite contradictory that proposes um, like mental health services whatever they may be and then is very strict on like mitigating circumstances and postponing deadlines um, I think could be a lot more flexible and uh, could also allow uh, students to hand in assignments later um, for other reasons than uh, doctor's notes. Um, I think this would contribute or would help people with their mental health a lot more.
0: We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ross. Um, Please send us our feedback either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Twitter or via email. We'd love to have your feedback. And this is Renata Albuquerque, and my colleague Simon Tullet.